1: As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health
0: issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We all love eating tasty food, and what's even better than that is when it's completely free. That's exactly what HelloFresh is giving away to you guys today. Free appetizers for the rest of your life. If you don't know, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. I've been a long time subscriber because not only do they make meal planning as simple as possible and essentially remove any trips I need to take to the grocery store, but they have the biggest menu out there with over 50 recipes to choose from every single week. I mean, it's summertime, we all want to spend more time relaxing in the sun and less time in the kitchen using HelloFresh, and they let you get back to enjoying pool and beach time with just a few clicks on your computer. Just choose your meals, select a delivery date, and HelloFresh delivers everything right to your door. And like I said, when you sign up today, you'll unlock free appetizers for life. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AndrewApps for free appetizers for life one appetizer item per box while subscription is active. that's free appetizers for life at hellofresh.com slash andrewapps. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona. Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated Dar. In a time known for big hair, roller skates, and metal bands, the 1980s wasn't all fun and games. It was also an era filled with some of the most notorious and terrifying serial killers to ever exist. Welcome, guys, to this week's Patreon-only Patrons episode. Thank you so much for the continued support. Hope you enjoy this one. Here's the dark side of the 80s, five killers who haunted the decade. Number five, Jose Rodriguez Vega. Jose Rodriguez Vega was a serial killer from Santander, Spain, Nicknamed El Mataviejas, which translates to the old lady killer, he murdered more than 16 women between the ages of 60 and 90 and had previously served a sentence for raping five younger women. Vega grew up in a highly dysfunctional family, where it's suspected his grandfather killed his grandmother, and his dad and brother were both alcoholics. Meanwhile, his mother was a dominant and aggressive woman prone to violence, by the time Vega was eight, a 50 year old woman had sexually abused him, and after this happened, he would masturbate constantly. This time, he also noticed he was sexually attracted to his mother, but kept these feelings a secret. Vega was known to have a violent temper, and when he was 18, he threw his wheelchair bound father down a flight of stairs, and for that, he was kicked out of the house. By 21, he was arrested for raping two women and the attempted rape of three others. He was sentenced to 27 years, but the sentence was lowered to just 8 after Vega wrote letters to the victims asking for forgiveness. Once out, he tried to move back home, but his mother wouldn't let him. Vega took the slight to heart and considered this a reason for his murders. His first victim was 61-year-old prostitute, Victoria Morales, whom he frequently slept with. They were just in bed talking when he suffocated her by covering her mouth and nose. On August 6th of 87, he killed 82-year-old Margarita Gonzalez by entering her home, raping her, and then suffocating her as well. She would go on to be found with her false teeth all the way down her throat following month, he killed 80-year-old Carmen Fernandez and by October, he struck again by raping, beating and killing 66-year-old Natividad Espanisa. Many of the deaths were attributed to natural causes because of the women's age, despite the fact that the families complained there was bruising all over the bodies, in the coroner indicating that three women had vaginal injuries. The following year, on April 19th of 88, Julia Fernandez was found dead in her home. The jurisdiction was under the Spanish Civil Guard and they learned that she had recently had her door reinforced. They found out the worker she hired was Vega. They shared this information with the police and they soon realized some of the other victims also had their doors reinforced before they died. Vega was soon arrested and fairly nonchalantly admitted to killing nine women. Who he says were surrogates for his mother. On October 24th of 2002, while walking on the prison grounds, Vega was then killed. He was attacked by two inmates and repeatedly stabbed. When asked why, they said they killed him because he was a rapist and considered a pariah under the code of honor in prison. Number four, the butcher baker. Robert Hansen, affectionately called Bob by those who knew him, was a man of contradiction. A skilled hunter, a respected businessman, a family man, he was also the sinister force behind a series of very gruesome crimes that took place in Alaska. Born to Christian and Edna Hansen in 1939 in Etherville, Iowa, Hansen was the epitome of the boy next door. Albeit marred by the torment of his peers who ridiculed him for his stutter and severe acne. His father, a strict disciplinarian, exacerbated young Hansen's plight, was abusive to him, and forced him to work long hours at the family's bakery. After school, he enlisted in the Army Reserve where he became a skilled marksman. Once out, he moved to Alaska, far removed from the tormented echoes of his childhood where Hansen morphed into a respected figure. He opened up his own bakery, which was frequented by locals, none wiser to the darkness that lurked within this man's soul. Because between 1973 and 83, he would go on to abduct and rape at least 30 women, and kill 21 of them. In 1982, the discovery of dancer Sherry Morrow who was the first victim found, would open up the investigation that ultimately led to the capture of the Butcher Baker. Two years before that, two other bodies were discovered deep in the woods under similar circumstances. All prostitutes are dancers, and they have been shot from far away and then left to die. With meticulous precision and the cold detachment of a seasoned hunter, Hansen had for years indulged in the sadistic hunt of women. He would let them live if they agreed to his sexual fantasies, but if they didn't, he would rape them anyway, and then let them loose out into the woods, where he would hunt them down with a .223 rifle. Ultimately, one of his victims, Cindy Paulson, whom he let go, filed a police report and provided enough information to track the man down. He had an alibi he had made with friends for this type of situation, so he lied for him, but The police kept on investigating as more bodies were being found, and ultimately, one of his friends admitted to lying about where Hanson was on the night he assaulted Cindy. After a search on his property revealed a lot more incriminating evidence, like the rifle used to kill all the ladies, he was brought in and arrested. He ultimately made a plea bargain, where he admitted to killing 17 women in total, although there were 21 victims. He showed police, where he buried 17 of the women, but refused to show him the other four. It's been theorized that that's because these four were not prostitutes, so he couldn't justify their murders to himself, and so just pretended like they didn't happen. Hansen was sentenced to 461 years in prison. In 2014, at the age of 75, he died due to deteriorating health circumstances. Number three, Sunset Strip Killers. A former Naval Intelligence Officer's son, Doug Clark, moved all over the world while growing up. After graduating from Culver Military Academy, Clark enlisted in the Air Force but was discharged as it was clear his life was headed somewhere else. He ended up in Los Angeles, moving from job to job, often being fired due to his violent temper. In his downtime, he would hang out at one of his favorite pubs, Little Nashville, the place where he met his partner in crime, Carol. Carol M. Bundy grew up with two alcoholic parents. At a young age, her mother died, and by 11, her father was sexually abusing her on a regular basis. At 17, she married, and then later on divorced her first husband, who was 40 years older than her. At 37, she became infatuated with her apartment block manager and part-time singer Jack Murray, and she'd frequent the Little Nashville bar to watch him play. Carol would cross paths with Clark, and they bonded over dark sexual fantasies. Clark moved into her play shortly after, despite Bundy still wanting to be with Jack, and the pair would have threesomes with prostitutes, but it got old after a while, and soon... Clark began expressing his desire to kill a girl during sex. Bundy bought two automatic pistols, and then, in June of 1980, the killings began. That month, Clark came home and told Bundy about how he picked up two teen prostitutes from the Sunset Strip, Gina Narano and Cynthia Chandler. Once in the vehicle, he ordered them to perform fellatio, and that's when he shot them both in the head. Then took their bodies to a garage and performed necrophilia before dumping them close to the Ventura Freeway, where they were later discovered. Twelve days later, Clark killed again. Xie Wilson and Karen Jones were also prostitutes from the strip, and again, Clark lured them into his car before shooting them. He hacked off Wilson's head and placed it inside the freezer. When Bundy saw it, she was initially shocked, but later helped Clark clean it up and put makeup on it before he used it as a sex toy. Three days later, another body was found. This was Marnette Corner, a runaway killed three weeks earlier, which made her Clark's first known victim. Then it was Bundy's turn. She was still infatuated with Jack and in a bid to impress him. She told him details about what she and Clark had done. Murray was disturbed to say the least and implied he might go to the comps. Well, Bundy lured him into the back of his van and inside shot and decapitated him. When his her when police were called, she confessed, which is when they were both arrested. Clark was charged with six counts of murder while Bundy was charged for two. In the trial, Clark's appointed lawyer was drunk and dozing off while he was being questioned, so he acted in his own defense. In the end, he was sentenced to death. Meanwhile, Bundy accepted a plea bargain, was sentenced to life in prison, where she died of heart failure in 2003. Number 2. Larry Eiler Born in Indiana in 1952 to a dysfunctional household, Larry Eiler grew up suffering abuse from his parents and stepfathers. The abuse was so horrific that the details had been prevented from being released the state sought to remove him and have him live with his relatives instead. As he grew older, Larry joined a monastery, but left and ended up working low-paying odd jobs, including one as a house painter. The first time his name signaled on the police's radar was when he stabbed an ex-Marine who was hitchhiking in town. This Marine managed to get away and testified against Eiler. He was paid $2,500 for his trouble and Eiler wasn't prosecuted. But two years after this incident, a good amount of bodies began to surface. The first was found on March 22nd of 1982. Jay Reynolds' body was brutally stabbed outside Lexington, Kentucky. Then on October 3rd, 14-year-old Delvoy Baker's body was discovered next to a road in Indianapolis. Not even two weeks later, another body was found dumped by the roadside in Lowell, Indiana. This person suffered 32 stab wounds, most of them to the head. By July 2nd of 83, there would be a total of 12 bodies found, and the 13th victim was Ralph Calise. He was found bound with duct tape and a clothesline, then stabbed 17 times and was dead for less than 12 hours. Shortly after this, an officer from Indiana spotted a pickup truck parked along I-65. The two men were walking towards the trees, and one of them looked like he was bound. When the officer approached, the younger man told the officer that Eiler had sexually propositioned him and asked to be tied up. The officer searched the pickup and found a clothesline, nylons, surgical tape, and a hunting knife with blood on it. That knife was examined and it matched the same blood type as that of Ralph. Eiler's boots and tire tracks also matched those found in the police crime scene. While the prosecution was building a case against Eiler, he was still free to kill, though, more bodies turned up around Washington, Illinois, and Indiana. By this time, the police had linked Eiler to 18 of the killings, but did not have enough to charge or arrest him. They put him on surveillance, and once they had enough, arrested him for murdering Ralph. However, during a pre-trial, a judge deemed all the evidence was obtained illegally and threw out the case completely. But soon, police caught a break. On August 21st, an apartment janitor noticed two large hefty bags in the trash dump. He knew right away a stranger dumped it and was mad, so he opened one bag where he found a human leg. It turned out it was the body of a known prostitute, 16-year-old Danny Bridges. After witnesses pointed to Eiler throwing the bags out, he was officially charged with the murder and kidnapping of Danny, and received the death penalty. In 1990, Eiler, together with his lawyer, offered to help authorities solve some of his murders in exchange for his death sentence to be commuted to life. On March 6 of 1994, Eiler died from complications due to AIDS. After his death, his lawyer, with permission from him, released the names of 21 victims he had killed and the locations of their bodies. Number one. Andre Chikatilo. Known as the Butcher of Rostov, it's no surprise Andre Chikatilo is considered one of the most prolific and violent killers of the nineteen eighties. He grew up in famine poor Russia. While he was a diligent student, he lacked social skills and had trouble forming relationships with women because he was impotent. After failing to enter Moscow State University, he went into national service before becoming a telephone engineer. Since he was still unmarried, his sister and her husband set him up with a local girl named Fayina. After two weeks, they were married out of convenience, and despite Andre's problems in the bedroom, they were able to conceive two children. Chikatilo then switched to becoming a teacher, and it was here where he started sexually assaulting his students. Complaints about him started pouring in, and he was forced to move from one school to another before settling in an area around Rostov. And his first known murder happened on December 22nd of 1978, when he lured nine-year-old Yelena Zakhanova into an abandoned home he had purchased and attempted to rape her. He was unable to achieve an erection, however, so he stabbed the victim three times before strangling her to death, during which time he ejaculated. After that, he threw her body into the river and it was found two days later. Even though a multitude of evidence and witnesses pointed to Andre, another man who had a history of rape and murder was charged and arrested and eventually executed for the crime. After this, Andre realized he could only achieve sexual arousal when he was killing women or children, which is pretty sick and twisted. The chance to relive the experience gnawed at him till he got his next victim, who was a 17-year-old boarding school student. He took her into the forest on the pretense of drinking vodka and relaxing. Once there, he jumped on the girl and violently attacked her before stabbing her multiple times and attempting to rape her there's too many people to list, Andre would go on to kill 50-plus more victims in a similar manner. His M.O. was always to engage the victim in conversation and lure them away from a populated area and then, without warning, attack them. The majority of his victims suffered multiple knife wounds to the face and neck, chest, and pelvic area. In most of the earlier victims, the eyes were often damaged or taken out of their sockets. He would go on to say he did this because he initially believed in the saying that a killer's face would be imprinted in the eyes of the victims. He then became a clerk for a raw materials factory and this gave him a chance to travel from place to place picking up more victims. A task force was assembled and the news of a serial killer soon made the rounds. Based on semen obtained on the victims' bodies, the police were convinced they were looking for a killer with AB blood type. And Chikatilo's name was added to the file, and in one instance of the investigation, he was stopped and questioned, but his blood type was shown to be A instead of the AB the suspect had. What they didn't know was that Chikatilo's blood type was indeed A, but his other bodily fluids registered AB. He apparently belonged to a rare group called non-secretors, whose blood type can only be taken from a blood sample and would show a different result when taken from semen or other body fluids. Soon after that, Chikatilo switched jobs again and became a buyer for a train company. By this time, the police hired Dr. Alexander Bukinovsky, a psychiatrist, to create a profile for this killer. After examining evidence, he stated that the murderer was a necrosadist, he was between the ages of 45 and 50 years old. He was likely married but suffered from impotence and had trouble forming relationships with women at a young age. He nailed it. Chigatilo's last victim was 22 year old Svetlana Karostik. She was killed near Donlesko station, one of the places under surveillance by police based on the psychiatrist's profile. Police saw Chikatilo emerge from the woods, in fact, after killing her, but didn't find the body right away. Once they found her, he was then put under surveillance for six days where he was seen approaching and engaging lone young women and children. By November 20th, he was then arrested. Chikatilo would not admit anything, but on the last day of his detainment, the police invited Dr. Bukhanovsky to speak with him. During that interview... He read parts of his profile to Andre, and within two hours, he broke down and started crying, admitting to all his crimes. He was found guilty on 53 murder charges and sentenced to death. On February 14th of 1994, Andre was led to a small, soundproof room and executed via a single gunshot to the back of the head. So there was the dark side of the 80s, five killers who haunted the decade. Murder knows no bounds, and despite these crimes happening decades ago, many of the victims of these killers still remain unidentified or unknown. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Whether you're listening via podcast or you're watching the video, we all really appreciate it and we do need your support, so thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Stay safe out there. I'll see you soon.